0: Good morning, church. How are we doing today? <laughs> he threw my groove off. <laughs> I'm Tim Shaney. I'm the, I'm the student pastor here at MCC. And, and I, I'm excited to share with you from Hebrews chapter 3. Um, so last week, Trent uh, talked to us about being the uncool church. And then this week, you get stuck with me. Coincidence? Probably not. Um, but our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 through 15. So if you want to turn there, and as you're turning, uh, before we read this, I want you to understand that throughout Hebrews, we see a series of warnings. And, and warnings can be tricky because we do one of two things with a warning. Uh, some of us um, don't take them seriously enough. right? We go, ah, I'm fine doesn't apply to me. I got this, and others of us, like the rule followers, go. We take it too seriously, and and it almost immobilizes us with fear, and we become doomsdayers. We focus on the, the warning. Are like, oh, and then we're too afraid to do anything because of the warning, and we I don't want to mess this up, and so it immobilizes us. So the hope today is that we see this warning for what it is, a heart, a heart felt cry from the father who wants what is best for his kids. So let's go verse 7. We'll read it all the way through. Therefore as the father, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where the father's put me to test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. As it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Pray with me. God, we need to hear from you. As your Holy Spirit speaks, may we continue to hear the words that he said long ago, that we hear them now. Father, may you convict us and move us if there's anything that we've put our hope in that's other than Christ, show us, Father. Call us into your rest that we may live the lives that you have called us to live. Father, no one needs to hear my words, but they need to hear yours. Speak to us. Amen. Amen. about five years ago, I had the opportunity to, with two of my boys and and uh, my brother-in-law and his son to go to the Grand Canyon. Actually the whole family went, but we had an opportunity to go into the canyon. I had been there several times before, but not long enough to actually go into it. I always wanted, I still want to um, do like, hike the whole thing from South Rim to North Rim and, and stay that, you know, go to the river down the bottom, come back up. Um, but this was not going to be that trip, but we were going to go halfway down. Uh, we had been warned not to go all the way down and all the way back up in one day. So we're like, okay, I guess we'll listen to that one. Um, and so th- we plan on going down. The night before the day that w- we're going down halfway and going to come back up, um, we we're warned that it is going to be the hottest day um, of the year. It's mid-July. And not only the hottest day of the year um, for that area, but the hottest they've had in many years. And we're like, okay, so we'll leave a little earlier. Um, and the warning was, make sure that you're up out of the canyon by noon. So we're going, okay, not a problem. We'll leave at 6 a.m. before the sun, and, and we'll get down there about 8. We'll have four hours to get back up and get, get right out on time at, at noon before it gets crazy hot. <clears throat> it's a dry heat anyway. Um, And so that's what we do. And on the way down, it's just amazing. We start to see, you know, the sun comes up and, and it cascades colors all over the canyon. We're taking pictures. We're stopping, taking pictures. We're passing the water stations going, yeah, I've, I've got enough water. I've got enough Gatorade. I've got my snacks. We're, we're good. I don't need this. And so we keep going. And, and we know the elevation, you need to hydrate or dehydrate. So we, we got that. When we're, we're doing that. Um, we're taking stopping, taking pictures. And there's some outcroppings on the rocks. There's one cool that looks like you're on the tip top of this mountain in the Middle of the canyon. You're really not, because there's no way I would have done it if I was. Um, And so we're getting getting our picture taken, having a blast. And we get down to the the garden area, the 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 campsite, and we're resting. And we're like, okay, it's it's nine. You know, it's about eight thirty. You know, that's not bad. You know, little half an hour. We'll have to push it a little bit going up, but we're still all right. And so we're resting. And as we're resting and drinking in and taking in water and Gatorade and having some snacks, and, and I look over and I see a thermometer. And the, the, the thermometer is, I'm in the shade, the thermometer is in the shade. 9 o'clock in the morning, and it reads 115 degrees. And we even thought about going further, but we're like, no, we probably better listen to the warning and we'll, we'll go back up. So we start our ascent, and going up is not near as much as going down. I don't know what it is, but, you know, we, we get up maybe, you know, 30 minutes and going, whew, this is, this is tough. Are we there yet? And you can see, unlike other camp, you know, those avid hikers, unlike other places, you, can't, you don't really know how much further you have. Well, you can kind of see the rim way up there and go, we ain't there yet. And so we're, we're climbing, we're coming to the water stations, and now, now we're drinking. And the second water station, we're not drinking. We're bathing in it because we're just trying to keep our body temperature down. And it's just, we're sweating and it's drying. Uh, you know, two minutes after we take the bath, it's, we're dry again. It's like, what, what just happened? Um, and we get to about a half mile left. And I'm, I've been struggling the whole way. One of my sons, the, the compassionate one, sometimes, um, <laughs> stuck, stuck with me and and, uh, you know, he's like, you know, I still want a dad, so I'm going <laughs> to make sure he gets up. Um, and so he's following, you know, he's walking with me and I, st- I hit this place where I'm going, I'm done. I mean, I, I, in my mind, I start going, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've got to make it. Um, it's too expensive to have a helicopter come get me. So that's not going to happen. Um, I've got to make this, but I don't know. I'm my buddy st- starts shutting down and, and Anthony's like, come on, you, you got this dad. Come on. You know? And I was like, no, I've got to stop and rest. And he goes, okay. And then I'll take 15 paces and I'll stop again. He goes, Dad, you got this. I go, no, you don't understand, son. I don't have this. Because I'm recognizing that I no longer want water. I no longer want the, the thing that's going to give me life and keep, get me up out of this. My body no longer wants it. I'm forcing myself to drink it because I know that I, I need it. Okay, let's stop there. You ever be that way sometimes? We push away the very thing that's going to give us life. Okay, I'm jumping ahead, so we'll come back. And so um, I and I found this strategy because we we're going switchbacks up, and every other switchback was in the shadows from the sun. And so I would hide myself. I I'd make it my goal just to make it to the next cleft in the rock where the shadow was, and I'd I'd stop there, and then I would drink, and I'd rest. I go, okay, and I go the next 15 paces and stop, another 15 paces, and every switchback I would would stop to, to get some rest. Finally, we make it up to the top. And I never thought I was going to, you know, going to get there. We get there and now I'm just walking like a zombie, you know, find the rest of our crew that is already passed out on the pavement there outside the, the souvenir shop. And I join them. I throw the pack down, throw my poles down, and I just lay on my back on concrete floor that couldn't have been more comfortable because I didn't have to move i didn 't care if the tourists were walking over me. I mean, I was a tourist too. Um, it was like i don 't care if I'm in your way. You deal with it, and, and those of you who know me that's not how I think i'm, I'm an introvert, and I, you know I, that's not how I roll, but and here I was, not able to move now i don 't know. Have you been Have you been there? Have you been that tired that like you don't even want to think about moving because that's exhausting um, So of hands, who's already tired today? All right, second service, I figured there'd be a few. Okay, what about this? How many of you are already looking forward to the Sunday afternoon nap? Any nappers? Okay, I have two words for you, not yet, okay? Um, But in reality, there's two words that resonate deeper than that, not enough, right? Ever take a nap and you wake up and you're still tired? I don't mean just your body is having a hard time waking up. I mean, you're tired. Like you finally got that full night's rest and you wake up and it wasn't enough. Think of, and, and then you start to think of all what lies ahead your day's agenda, the meal prep you've got to do, getting the kids off to school, the expectations, the demands that wait at the office, the meetings, the homework, the schoolwork, uh, the drama, the workplace drama or the school drama, online pressures to convince everybody that you've got this, uh, the life is good, the conflict that awaits for you when you get back home, you think about everything that lies ahead or maybe the vanity of it all, and you just want to go back to bed. But you know that sleeping isn't enough so you plan and plan for a vacation and you, get, you you can't wait to get on the beach and do nothing. But then after a great vacation you come home exhausted, right? The stress is still there, the anxiety is there, the depression. You just escape for a week, but you but yet you still feel trapped in this endless cycle. You're exhausted, but not just physically, not just emotionally. It's deeper. Right? There's a tiredness that's beyond the physical. In fact, no amount of sleep or binge watching, uh, no amount of vacation, number of days off seem to affect. Because as soon as we're faced with the reality, boom, we're tired again. Anxious, exhausted, ready for an escape. You know, I, I remember years ago, I was at a conference, and the speaker was, was talking about finishing strong. And rather than being encouraged or inspired, I was just filled with dread. I, I didn't understand it. Here I was, a, a young pastor in my 20s, thinking to myself, I don't, I don't think I can make it. And listening to the pastor well into his 60s, urging me to stay strong, this big rah-rah message. And in my heart, I'm saying to myself, I don't think that I can. I don't think that I have it in me. I'm tired of of pretending. I'm tired. I just don't think that I can be faithful. And then the thought was if I'm already like this, if I'm already tired and worn out at 26, how in the world am I going to keep going? What's going to happen to me? And I find myself riddled with doubt about my purpose, about my ability, about losing God's approval. And I was restless. What if the reason we can't find rest, enough rest is because our souls are tired. See, there's a tiredness that threatens each of us. A restlessness that leads to doubt and mistrust. And just as there is sleep days off and vacation for physical rest, there's a deeper rest. One that we desperately long for. And in fact, we were created for a rest that only God can give a rest. And that rest is what the Holy Spirit pleads with us in this text not to miss. And if we listen, he'll teach us how to have this rest rest. And that's both eternal and also eternal internal. Let's pick it up back at verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, now let me pause right there. And I think this is cool. He's quoting Psalm 95. And I love how he reminds us that this isn't just David speaking. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through David then and to us now. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of the testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, There's, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The Holy Spirit does not want us to miss God's rest. How do we miss it? The author of Hebrews quotes David, and he goes all the way back to Moses to remind us of God's chosen people and how they missed God's rest. So he says, don't be like these guys. And understand that the Hebrews receiving this letter, they knew exactly what he was talking about. But most of us did not have the Torah memorized by the age 12. So let's go through a quick history lesson. So kind of strap in, hang on tight, and here we go. The Hebrew people started from one man, Abraham, that, that God made a promise to, a promise to bless all mankind through, all nations through. He had one son that had one son that had 12. Ten of those brothers turn on the one. They sell him as a slave, which, long story short, ends the whole family up, uh, about 70 of them, into Egypt, living in, in Egypt. There in Egypt, the family grows, 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 and grows, and it grows so big that the Egyptians become afraid of them, so they make them slaves. Now, after 400-plus years of slavery, they cry out to God, but now there are people not of 70, but 1.5 million-ish. God sends Moses to deliver them. You may know the stories, 10 plagues, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, mad cow disease, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and then the death of the firstborn son. The last plague doesn't touch the Hebrews because, as instructed, they, protected, they were protected by the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed for each household and put on the door frame. Pharaoh, while grieving his son, says, go, get out. The 1.5 million-ish Hebrews, after being given uh, treasures from the Egyptians, saying go, uh, gold and all, that, all kinds of stuff, they get trapped between Pharaoh's army and the Red Sea because Pharaoh changed his mind. God parts the sea. The Hebrews walk on dry, across the dry seafloor. Pharaoh's army tries to follow, and they get dead. Tracking with me so far? God continues to lead the people by a pillar of cloud by, by day, fire by night, keeping them both cool and warm, and also leading the way. God tells them to come up to the mountain to see him on the mountain, and they refuse. They think they're going to die, so they send Moses to die. Um, Moses doesn't die, but they think he's dead. And so they make a golden calf while, while he's up there with the Egyptian plunder that they have received. And God punishes them, and then he forgives them. Then they grumble because they're hungry, and God gives them manna. Then they grumble because they're thirsty, and God provides water from a rock. And now God leads them to the border of this promised land, the place that will be their rest, this site of eternity. And they send 12 spies into the land and they all come back saying how awesome this place is. I mean, the grapes are like huge and all the milk and honey. I'm just, it's awesome. But 10 say, we can't do it. They convince the people that God can't do it. God has brought us here to die. That's their conclusion. Two say it's good, but no one listens. In fact, the people plan to stone them, but then God shows up. The glory of God comes over the place of meeting where Moses would meet with God, and he shows up, and, the, and, he, and this is the rebellion that we read in verse 8. Refusing to go into God's rest, after seeing all the mighty works that he had done to get them to that point, they refused because they didn't trust him. His provision wasn't enough. His power wasn't enough. So God's judgment, all the people that are over 20 years old will not enter his rest, the promised land, the land that God had provided for them. Only the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, would be allowed. So they spent the next 40 years wandering around in the desert, essentially waiting for that generation to die before they would eventually storm the walls of Jericho and enter into the promised land. Now, don't miss this. Do you see the lengths to which God went to bring his people into his rest? A place of fulfillment, of peace, of purpose. A place that, a place that harkens back to, yes, I said harkens, um, back to the original place of rest, the Garden of Eden. You see, God created us to rest in him, to rest with him, This was his original plan. This was his plan from the very beginning. His heart is that we would have rest in him. God sets Adam and Eve in the garden. He is with them. All is theirs to enjoy. They could eat of any tree, including the tree of life, all but one. Adam and Eve had everything, but they wanted the one thing they couldn't have. They don't trust in God's provision, it isn't enough. So they take a bite and you know what happens next? Ah, they're naked. So they cover up, right? And they're filled with shame. They realize they're naked. They were already naked. Genesis 3, 7 says this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, their, their sin wasn't their nakedness. But their sin left them exposed. What did they immediately set out to do? They started to cover up. They started to make clothes out of leaves to cover up. And we know how that is when our sin's exposed, right? We panic. We try to figure out how to cover this up. I don't want want God to see this of me. I don't want you to see this of me. And we're trying to figure out how to cover up. Can you imagine the scene? Adam and Eve are panicking to try to figure out how to cover up while trying to cover up. And so they're like trying to sow fig leaves. And I I don't know, had they even figured out how to make (laughs) clothes? No, probably not. Appreciate you getting that one. Um, So this is the, I want you to understand, this is the first toiling that we see. It's not the first work because, you know, um, Adam was naming animals. That was his work. You know, hey, hippopotamus, rhino, whoa, man. And, and you know, so he was going through and naming things. Um, but this is the first time we see this anxiety-induced work. And the rest is history. After Adam and Eve made their plant-based underwear, what did they do? What did they do? Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the, in the cool of the day in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid. Why did they hide? Because they instinctively knew that their work of covering up wasn't enough. Let me ask you this. What are you using as your cover-up to hide from God? What are you using as your cover-up to hide from others? If you're hoping in anything other than Christ, you will never have rest. And maybe that's why we're restless, tired of trying to cover up, to measure up, worried about being enough or having enough or accomplishing enough. We start hoping in something else. So how do we make sure that we don't miss out on this rest? It starts with today, if you hear his voice. Now this implies, this hearing implies not just listening, but obeying. Students, you track with me. When your mother says, do you hear me? She's just not saying, are you hearing the words coming out of my mouth? No, she's saying, do you understand that if you do not do what I'm telling you to do, Life may be over as you know it. Something, you know, obedience is implied. Right? We get that. Do you intend on obeying me today if you hear his voice? So today, if you hear and understand what he's calling you to do, don't not do it. Because here's the thing. Here's the danger of... Being a part of the church or coming to places where we hear truth. Because when we hear truth and do nothing, it's dangerous. Because here's the thing hearing without heeding leads to hardening. And then the pastor continues and he gives us three commands that will guard our hearts if we'll hear them. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest any of you, uh, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So we see the first imperative here. Take care. Take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. First one, take care. This word, the Greek word, is to look at, to see, to, to be observant. But it's a little bit more than that. It implies this idea of seeing what's happening so we can discern what we need to do about what's happening, what action we need to take. So husbands, you come home and you notice that your wife is upset. Observing that your wife is upset is a good thing. But it can't stop there. You need to discern why she's upset. Is she upset with the kids? Because, okay, I can deal with that. Or is she upset with me? Different action. Or is she just upset at the world and I just need to go into the garage and give her some space? Right? You've got to figure out where, you know, what's really going on and what action I need to take. And that's what's going, that's what he's telling us. He has to take care and be observant. And then he calls them Brothers. This is a term saying, it literally means of the same womb. So in this context, he's saying spiritual children of the same family. I want you to take care so that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart. Evil comes from this word, paneros, wicked or evil or toilsome, going back to the garden. And it comes from this root word, pain, that emphasizes the... It emphasizes the inevitable agonies that always go with the work of evil. Unbelieving, faithless, unfaithfulness, distrust, heart. Heart is it's the IOS. It's our operating system. It's where the, it's the desires and, and decisions are made. It's the control center of our life. And we'll jump ahead to the word fall away. This isn't a falling away that I was in danger of doing at the Grand Canyon uh, of if I got too close to the edge. It, this is a, I'm standing away. I'm drawing away. It's a little bit of more of my, I'm doing this, not just an accident. So let's go back to, uh, for a second because there's something in this verse I don't want you to miss. We can't afford to miss. We can't afford to miss. Take care, brothers, lest, any, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Any of who? The brothers. Us. We're not just discerning for ourselves, we're discerning and looking out so that we can take action to prevent any of us from falling away. This is a collective, this is not speaking to just in a singular form. This is us. And how do we do this? Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So the second command that he gives us is exhort one another every day. Encourage each other. Often when, you, when we think of this encouraging someone, we think of cheerleading. Right. He's like, you got this. Come on, let's go. Dig deep. You can do this. Right. And that's what we think. And we try to give them motivation, and we, po- whether it's positive or some people need negative motivation, so, so we're going to go there. Um, but that's not the picture of encouragement or exhortation that's being painted here. The word exhort is perikaleo, and it means to, to make a call from being up close and personal, to call to, to encourage, to admonish, and to comfort. Derek Redmond is a British sprinter was competing in the semifinals for the men's 400 meter in the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. And the finals were well within grasp as he was around the backstretch and the unthinkable happened. The searing pain of a torn hamstring sent him hobbling to the ground. Watch as Derek, through the pain, tries to finish. His father demonstrating perfectly the type of encouragement we receive from our father and what we're called to give to one another. God sees that we're unable to finish. And we try and we hobble and we want to enter this rest. We want to finish, but we can't. And we can't enter this rest and our father sends his son, Jesus, to break through the stands onto the track, fights off evil and finishes the race, both for us and with us. This is what God does for us this is what we are to do for each other. How are we to encourage each other? We don't tell them you've got this. We tell each other you don't have this. You don't have the strength in you to do this. You can dig as deep as you want and you're going to fail. Or you can trust in the one that will run this race, has run this race for us and will run it with us because he has this and we can trust him because in our weakness, he is strong. We need to bury our head into the chest, the father's chest, and we need to put our arms around each other saying, consider Jesus, fix your eyes on him. He's got this. So the 12, the, the 12 spies come back. And 10 said it can't be done. And they convinced 1.5 million people that death in Egypt would have been better. Even death in the wilderness would have been better than what God had planned for them. Ten unbelieving, faithless men led 1.5 million to unbelief. Minus four. All except Aaron and Moses. And who else? See there, how many spies rebelled? Ten, leaving two. Why? Why two? Why were two left? Because we can't exhort one another alone. Joshua and Caleb didn't turn away. They saw what the others saw, but they stood together. Listen to what they say. And Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You need a Caleb to your Joshua. Saying, look, I know this seems impossible. And I know you, you, you're trying to fix this. But look who is with us. Don't fear. I know your heart is broken because you have a kid that's walked away from the faith. And I know you're trying to say everything right to fix this. But you won't. You'll say the wrong things. So go to the Father for His words. Go to Jesus, because Jesus, fix your eyes and consider Him. Rely on Him. I know the health scare or the diagnosis is not what you thought was going to happen. And the doctors don't seem to have answers. And you can fret yourself and make yourself even more sick. But we need to say to each other let's consider Jesus. Because in our weakness, he is strong. And he has something in this for us, even though we can't see. In our financial trouble or situation, we're tempted to, we're tempted to take shortcuts and, and to figure things out, to pull back from generosity or whatever that might be. We need each other to go, no. We've got to draw closer. We need to bury our heads in God's chest. Because that's, that's, that's true treasure. But when we're facing addiction or habitual sin, lust, pride, greed, whatever it is, and we're like, I can't fix this. We need to get to the point where we realize we cannot do it alone. So quit coming to church and covering up. Rather than pretending to have it all together, let's remind each other of how desperately we need Jesus. Verse 13, but exhort each other, one another, every day, as long as it's called today. Every day, this is habitual, constant, relentless. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice he did not say hardened by sin. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But he says the deceitfulness of sin. See, sin is missing the mark, failure. The deceitfulness of sin, our hearts are hardened when we're deceived into thinking that we can handle our own failures. We're deceived when we think that we can handle missing the mark. Another way that we're deceived is that sin deceives us into thinking that there's no coming back from this. I can't possibly share this with somebody because there's no coming back and we lose hope and we lose faith and our hearts grow hard. He goes on to tell us why this is so important that we take care and that we encourage each other. In verse 14, he says, for we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold firm to our original confidence, firm to the end. Why? Because we have come to share in Christ. Now, this word share is kind of cool and confusing because it's a business term. It means associate, like a business partner. It implies that we're sharing something with Jesus, like the profits and margins that you would share if you have a business partner. If you they, if they lose money, you lose money. They make money, you make money. same thing's happening here with this relationship that we share in Christ because we get to share in his accomplishments. What did Jesus accomplish? What do we get to share in? rest. Three words he says from the cross. Can't say it any clearer. It is finished. The work is done. Hebrews 2.17 says for this reason he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. The Hebrew word for atonement is kafar, which means to cover, to cover. And now we're right back in the garden of Eden where God's God sacrificed. Well, Adam and Eve try to cover up where God sacrificed the first animal to cover Adam's sin, pointing forward to the day that Jesus would meet all the requirements and cover our sin, that we could enter his rest. The work is finished. If your heart hopes in anything else other than Jesus, you will never have rest. So the author implores us to hold on, to hold our original confidence firm to the end. I wonder how fired up the Israelites were right, before, right after crossing the Red Sea as they watched the Egyptians do the dead man float and the sea you know, swallowed up by the waves that had parted for them. They were probably ready to storm into the promised land. But then things didn't run according to what they wanted or their plan. God called them to trust him. And things got hard. And their original confidence washed away. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we're fired up. There's not a whole lot of doubt going on. There's a lot of things we may not understand, but we're fired up. Our faith is, is full, and we're amazed at the grace and faithfulness of God. But then come the desert times, uncertainty hits. We falter. We lose sight of of God's provision and his power. We focus on our own strength to provide, to chase after what we think we want or need, and trusting him turns into this trying, and we we grow tired. So he tells us, hold firm to the end. Just as you began, remember his faithfulness then, because it hasn't changed. What's your hope in? Not just for tomorrow. What's it in today? He says, today, if you hear his voice. Verse 15, he says, as it is said. And now he's going back to Psalm 95. He's quoting again. But the words, as it is said, are better translated, while it's being said. Why is it still being said? Because it's today. And today you have an opportunity to do something about it. Who is saying it? The Holy Spirit, verse 7, the living God is still calling us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today is stated three times in just a few verses that we've looked at. Today, what happened today, God provided manna for today. You could store it up, but it would be rotten tomorrow. One day at a time, the hope is for today. Lamentations 322 and 23 says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercies are new each day. Trust in his provision, his faithfulness. It is enough for today. Today is a sense of urgency. No matter the mistakes, the doubts, the unbelief of tomorrow, today you can choose faith. Today, if you hear his voice, Jesus said it this way, he who has ears, let him hear. A timeless call to urgency, first from the Holy Spirit through David and now through the son himself. Don't let your, your heart grow hard by putting your hope in anything else but Christ. You see, Adam and Eve were in the garden and with everything but one thing, and it wasn't enough. The Israelites were in the desert with nothing, and God still wasn't enough. Maybe we can't find rest because we don't know when enough is enough. But God does. See, at the end of the first day of creation, God said, It is good. It was enough for that day. So he ended the day. Day two. The end of the day. It is good. It was enough. Ended the day. Day three. Day four. Day five. All good. All enough for each day. Then day six, he creates Adam and Eve, mankind, and says, it is very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. See, God is the God of rest. He knows when enough is enough. So let's be real for a moment. Whatever you can't get enough of, that's your God. That's what your hope is in. If you can't get enough attention, then that's your God. You can't get enough approval. That's your God. You can't get enough likes and follows. And that's your God. You can't get enough money. That's your God. If You can't get enough success. That's your God. You can't get enough appraise and attaboys. That's your God. You can't get enough being entertained. Then that's your God. You can't get enough winning. That's your God. You can't get enough sleep or escape. That's your God. You can't get enough drugs, substances. That's your God. You can't get enough sex, fantasy. Then that's your God. You can't get enough pleasure. Then that's your God. But what if you can't get enough God? If you keep coming back to Him and you're longing and you're desperate for Him and you've got to have more of Him, and He, if there's nothing else you want more and you can't get enough of God, then He's your God. And you'll have rest. So ask yourself is God enough? For me now, for you're quick to answer that, let me ask you a second question What is that one thing that you can't get enough of? Because if it's not God, then He isn't enough for you. If your hope is in anything other than Jesus, you will never have rest. Is Jesus' provision enough or are you still trying? Quit trying, start trusting. Jesus has done everything so that we can have rest today. Eternal rest tomorrow, yes, but internal rest today. On the cross, when he said those words, it is finished. He opened up the way back to Eden, back to the promised land where we are his people. And he is enough. Think back to who Jesus says he is. Do you think it's a coincidence that he calls himself the bread of life, manna from heaven? Or that he calls himself the living water, water from the rock? He is the cornerstone, the rock, the hope of our salvation. So as we enter into a time of communion, a time of reflecting on his life and his death and who we are in him, Place again your hope in Christ. Anchor it there. Take the bread, his body that's broken for us, that that we may rest in his work. Drink the cup, his blood, living water, that we may have hope for today. Let me leave you this morning to reflect on the beginning of Psalm 95. The psalm the author of Hebrews quotes the second half. Listen to the words of David that begin this song, as the song as the Holy Spirit exhorts us. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us bow down. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.